What we are witnessing here is the return of Titans. How many of these things are there? Seventeen and counting. That's messed up. Oh my. They're moving like a pack. They're hunting. They all respond directly to an alpha. We stop this Ghidorah. We stop them all. Is there another creature that might stand a chance against him? For a beer. No, this time we join the fight. Run. Sideshow Conversations, part of the League of Shadows, where we break the bat. Enjoy! What's going on, everybody, and welcome to another great edition of Sideshow Conversations, the only podcast that can withstand a kaiju attack. It's me, your host with the most, Val Cisco, and of course, coming from a great podcast that he loves so much. What's that podcast called again, sir? Anxiety Live. Yes. Ba, 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 ba. <laughs> from Anxiety Live. Your boy, Jacob. How you doing, Jacob? Uh, I'm fantastic, man. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic as well, too. It's the, Honestly, this is like a, a phoenix coming out of the ashes right here because I have not recorded a podcast in about a couple of months so far due to just a little bit of everything from job to my daughter to just life in general. Things kind of stop me from recording then you know what i kind of wanted to come in fresh do something different with the podcast so hopefully everybody today enjoys it let me kind of break down what we're doing today kind of mixing everything together all the little segments that i like to do on a daily basis whether it's nothing to watch or nothing to play at the movies kind of all rolled up into one podcast so we can do it maybe weekly and just give everybody the content that they want to hear how does that sound to you bro I'm down for it. I'm so here for it. Sweet, sweet, sweet. Before I get started, though, for everybody who is not really used to the way I podcast or rating system that I do for things, let me break down the rating system right now. 
Uh, if I don't like anything whatsoever when it comes to a game, uh, when it comes to a movie, or even, hell, the new, the latest mu- music that's come out these days, I kind of 86 it. Uh, if I'm in the middle of everything and I'm not too sure what I like or it could be good, could be bad, I kind of give it a mid-card. And, of course, if I absolutely love it, it is the top notch. Of course, the bees, freaking knees. I give it a big top. So, of course, everybody, just remember one more time. It is 86 at mid-card or big top. So let's get started with the first segment of the evening. We're going to get into Nothing to Watch. And I'm going to kind of pass it over to you. Nothing to Watch is a segment where we talk about things, whether it's uh, film, whether it's TV, whether it's uh, something that people are not really talking about that much, and maybe we can kind of get them to start watching these um, different things. So what do you got for me today? Um, so um, it's it's funny because so um, I've actually been watching uh, a new show that came out on HBO, and I actually haven't um, been seeing a lot of people um, talking about it, but it is definitely something that um, I would encourage people to watch. Um, I've been watching Chernobyl. Um, and tomorrow is actually the series finale. Um, it's actually a mini series on HBO. Mm-hmm. Um, it has a total of, I believe, five episodes, um, or gonna be a total of five episodes. Um, but it's actually something that's very interesting to watch. Um, I have thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, it's it's basically a, um, a a visual of everything that went down in Chernobyl. Of course, you know it's still Hollywood, um, so you know it's gonna have a bunch of like written and shit characters that didn't exist, and you know um, over dramatics um, in certain situations. Um, but overall, I mean, what it does is, I mean, it's just a really good show, really good acting. Um, although I just I do love how like all the actors are like English playing, um, you know, Soviet characters. So I mean, that I still get a kick out of that like so much. No, um, straight up as well too. Honestly, you're the one that got me into it. Um, I kind of checked it out on a bored day when I had literally nothing to watch. You know, I'm trying to plug that. And mm-hmm. um, honestly, this is a, it's a very, very, very stern and dry show, but it, it's not bad whatsoever. I could see why people may be put off from it, especially from all the wear and tear that Game of Thrones gave everybody. <laughs> from HBO. Really, seriously, and this show right here, if you like kind of bounce from Game of Thrones to this, you're like, ooh, this is very motherfucking Magoo right now. This is very depressing. Do I wanna <laughs> put an hour into my life in it? But it's captivating. Uh, Chernobyl, it is a five part historical drama um, written by Craig Mazin and directed by Johan Rennick, uh, co produced by HBO and Sky UK. Um, it does go into the Chernobyl uh, nuclear disaster from day one to the last final day. All the politics that surrounded it. Hey, it's the its own cover it, up. Yeah, it is its own Game of Thrones, a real fucking Game of Thrones. It, it really is. I mean, when you when you think about it too, um, is I mean, you know, Game of Thrones was based off you know a lot of stories that you know we've read and you know just like a lot of like human interaction, you know, so like. I mean, we take we, we took a lot of the drama that we saw in Game of Thrones and we applied it to our own lives. You know, like, you know, we know somebody that's like a, a fucking uh, Cersei Lannister. We all know somebody that's like a Jon Snow, you know, but this is a, a more based off like real life situation. You know, like these people actually try to bury this, um, you know, one of the worst and still in some people's eyes considered the worst nuclear disaster. Um, and, and just because of the pride, and this is something that a friend of mine pointed out, cause I also got him into it. 
the pride that these people had in trying to cover this up just was just is just so cringy because you know they were they were willing to put people's lives and you know the life of the world at stake just to cover up their pride you know um and it's 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 insane um and you and, and you see you know the outcomes that could have happened if people didn't get their shit together um it's it's mind-boggling you know it goes to show you that you know shit like that can still happen at any point in time you know we do learn from our lessons but as we have also learned history tends to repeat itself you know uh, when i went into this I, I didn't really have any expectations whatsoever but i was fascinated with all the craziness that was going around with the politics regarding the Soviet Union, regarding everything that was happening in Minsk, with, with everything that was happening in Chernobyl. Um, it's a very much an eye-opener, like you were saying as well, too, and kind of, you know, history tends to repeat itself if we're not careful today. Hell, something like this could happen again. Actually, in, uh, in the show as well, too, they talk about that, what, it, it's uh, the little tent or the... Uh, the I guess the containment um, field they have around Chernobyl is only supposed to be for about 25 years 30 years Mm -hmm. and we're actually coming around that time right now where they kind of have to either redo it or do something different to contain all the nuclear activity so very interesting very um, up to date to what we're dealing with in today's world Um, question for you what is the main reason why people are not watching this show um because like you said, it's dry, um, you know, it's, it's pretty much short, simple, short, sweet and simple to the point. Um, and I mean, it's not, it's not a comedy and it's not necessarily. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's your boy, Val Cisco, dropping some knowledge about Anchor. Guys, have you ever wanted to record your own podcast? Don't you want millions and millions of people to listen to what you have to say, whether it's about Zeus, whether it's about sports, whether it's about everything that's going on in the world of quarantine? Guys, what are you waiting for? Download Anchor. Anchor basically is a one-stop shop for all your podcast needs. It has creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. Number two, it's free. Guys, it's free. There's not a lot of freebies out there, so grab this. And of course, Anchor will distribute your podcast so you can be heard from different places like Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, and many, many, many more. You can make money off your podcast too with minimum listenership. So right there, guys, like listen, this is a no-brainer. Download Anchor. It's pretty fantastic. I love it. Hell, thank you, Anchor, for giving me the platform to speak about all the random things that I do. Uh, It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So please, once again, download Anchor. You can download it off the Apple Play Store, the, the Google Store. I don't know if you guys have Blackberries out there still. Uh... Whatever is out there, download it. It's freaking phenomenal. You guys won't regret it. Take care. Ciao. Oh, yeah. You know, and so, um, like I said, uh, compared to like a show like Breaking Bad, um, how it was, I mean, again, it's an amazing show, um, but it's it's written drama. It's forced drama. It's something that was written to be like that. So you have something that is more reality based. 
Um, and so people won't really give it that much of attention because it's not something that's, that's, that's written to be good. You know, these people have to work with reality and then turn it good. They have to add in that extra drama. They had to add in those extra characters to give it that kind of captivating. Um, but I mean, when you look at the story in itself, I mean, it is, again, that's something that you can't write. You know, the whole, the whole idea of, of what happened it happened and that's something that you can't write because it did actually happen. Um, but again, it also, because it deals with politics in a way um, because of our political climate, you know, you kind of don't really see a lot of people uh, uh, gravitating towards that. Um, so I think, you know, all those kind of put into why people don't really, I mean, and, but the marketing's out there, you know, I'm actually, I have been seeing marketing for Chernobyl, but again, I guess it's just people are not feeling it. No, yeah, definitely. I can see that the market is there uh, for who, he, anyone who wants to actually watch this and take the time out of their day and sit down. Because this is not something you can just actually play in the background and, and just watch here and there. You actually have to be invested in every single little bit of this show. Um, the star-studded cast is a great European cla uh, class right here. Uh, Jared Harris, uh, Stellan Skarsgård, Paul Ritter, so many people which you've seen on so many shows. Hell, if you've seen Harry Potter, most of these people are in fucking Harry Potter as well, too. Can um, but... I, can I, can I, it there? Um, and a nerd bit, this is, this is how much of a nerd I am. The guy that plays um, the main um, nuclear, um, uh, 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 like, physicist, uh, yeah. Damn it, I can't remember his name. Uh, uh, the guy with the glasses. He's the guy that played um, the original Ashford in Resident Evil 2, the movie. Yes, um, you read about this. And I think one of his very first lines was, how bad is it? Which is the exact same line that he did. I want to say it was like the first line in his, uh, in his role in Resident Evil 2 as Dr. Ashford how bad is it? Like the same face, like the same tone, everything. When he said that, I like jumped out of my seat because I was like, ah! Yeah, man. Star Study Cast. Hurt in me. <laughs> honestly, uh, there shouldn't be a reason why people shouldn't watch this show, honestly. Um, of course, this is um, based off the book called Voices of Chernobyl. Five-part miniseries. I could definitely see why it's a miniseries, but the same token, people get out there, go on HBO Go, go if you have HBO as well too, just give it a shot. It's very melodramatic, especially if you um, are still depressed over the ending of Game of Thrones. This <laughs> kind of won't help you, but at the same time, it, it's great. It's a great look at history. It's a great look at at what this world has come to when it comes to nuclear activity and the, the means of people trying to hide it and cover things up. So great show and great pick, bro. Thank you. Thank you. Now, what's, what do you got for us? Um, a, a show that I kind of binged this weekend, and I know it's been out for a while, but I figured, you know what, I need to give it a break. Um, not that it was a bad show, but it was something that, I don't know. I, I just wasn't clamoring for automatically when it came out, but it was season two of the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Oh, did you ever get a chance to see season one whatsoever? No, I did not. Uh, you know what? For anybody out there whatsoever who loves the occult, who loves very much dark humor mixed with um, occult humor, if you will, as well, too, because there's a lot of it. It's a very fantastic show, well-written, great, great cast as well, too. Everybody's top-notch, based on the uh, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina comic books that came out um, 
not too long ago as well too those comic books are fantastic the artwork is fantastic as well too um cast uh, stars lucy davis ross lynch and so many other people that you'll you'll recognize as well too i think it's um the series as a whole if you're new to it it's very different than what you're thinking about on tgif with what's this bitch's name um melissa joan hart is that it uh i, I think so Clarissa explains it all. It's totally different from that whatsoever. You're not looking at a talking Salem, making wise, cracking jokes. This is very much a dark fantasy uh, show with uh, Luciferian culture. I'm going to say that correctly. Not satanic culture, Luciferian. It's very much dealing with um, the idea of the Black Bible and being a witch and coming into your own. And this season directly... um, has a lot to do with um, Sabrina coming into her new powers and being really in the thick of things as far as a follower of the devil himself, Lucifer. Um, From start to finish, I think this was a very strong season. Did I like it more than the first season? I want to say yes. Um, I think all the actors are, and all the characters are fully fleshed out this season. It does get a little... Mm, out of control from episode seven through eight, but at the same token, I think it's a wild ride. I think that every character has a strong story into this. Um, it hits different topics on um, feminism. It hits topics on the LGBTQ community as well too, since it's Pride Weekend right here as well too. Um, very um, well to talk about it right now, but. Um, great, great cast right there. And I think if you're really into the gothic nature of things and you'd like to see that kind of humor and take on a, a character like Sabrina, you'll love this. It's, it, it mixes Supernatural with Harry Potter. I'm going to say that. Yeah. Interesting. I, 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 it's right up your alley. Um, no, I've, I've actually been wanting to watch it, but um, uh, the reason why I don't binge things or like even like give things the time of day is just because I have a very short attention span so like I'll be fixated on it and then like suddenly like I'll just be distracted or I'll find something to distract myself um but if I do find myself like actually like into it then you know like like holy shit it's going down like this must be a damn good show um because it's very uh and that's just something that just happened to me recently um but my question for you is with this show and, and knowing Netflix's history, do you think, do you see it as something that they will continue to invest on and seasons will continue to come? That's my biggest gripe with this season right here. Um, I think of all the shows that have been canceled on Netflix, um, I feel like this season kind of blew its load. When you think of the occult, who do you think is the biggest bad that you can actually get to? Like, as far as, like, occult-wise? Yeah. Like, if you were to put a big bad in an occult-style movie or a Luciferian kind of tale, who would be that big bad? I mean, it wouldn't necessarily say an occult, but, I mean, I, like, automatically I would go to, like, a, a Manson or, um, yeah, a Luciferian, though? Yeah. Um... Well, oh, no. I'll cut you off right there. The the big bad, and I won't spoil too much of it because he is in season one, is in the name right there. Lucifer 
plays a big role in this season. And to me, um. I feel like it's too much of a role right now. He's a character that you, you could probably save for a season three or four. And I, they kind of get into the muck of things around episode seven um, and then the latter episodes from there as well, too. Now, does it leave it open for next uh, season three? Definitely. Can they go different directions as far as a next big villain? Definitely. And, um, but at the same token, I could definitely see why they went this route as well, too. Just in case it were to get uh, canceled out of nowhere, at least they gave you a payoff with that character. I mean, that's that's one thing I, I would say about Netflix shows in general. It's like they'll have momentum, and then it just—I don't know. It's like I—I I don't know. Um, I, I've seen it with several different shows where, like, they make writing choices that are just like kind of have you scratching your head, but you're like, okay. Um, I can see that, but mm-hmm. my main concern about this and. This is why I think it, it will get a season three and possible a season four as well, too. It's because it's so taboo. It's so out there. And it has a fan base that really clamors for something like this. I, I think it's going to succeed. I mean, there is not to my recollection right now, besides maybe Supernatural, there has been no, or maybe American Horror Story as well, too, would be the closest thing. But there has been no luciferian show that kind of makes you look at things a certain way whether it's from um, a catholicism or a christianity standpoint or a luciferian uh, satanism standpoint as well too it makes you play with that so much in an innocent way i mean i mean you could what about lucifer i mean i hear that that show does that a lot It, it gives you perspective and then you also have um i mean i never saw it but just kind of like thinking of 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 that like kind of genre and that that um atmosphere um priest uh, is it priest on amc that's the show on amc right correct yeah yeah i want to check that one out too Priest is fantastic. I think that if there's a show to mirror this right now, Priest is a great example. I can't believe I forgot about that. But yeah, I mean, this show really dives into those things where, you know, you're going to a, a, a I want to say an academy for witches and warlocks. And the first thing you see is a giant bathmet statue and kids playing around it. And you look at it like it's second nature, like it's no big deal. <laughs> this show gives you that. It's like, huh, I find that very strange that it has a a very cool fan base around it. And then the biggest thing too, is that there's so many characters that yes, uh, are they gay? Are they transsexual as well too? Yes. But the same token, is that their character arc? No. Um, a, a character chance, uh, Perdomo. I hopefully I said that name correctly. He plays Ambrose Spellman, who is uh, Sabrina's cousin and he's a pansexual character. He loves everyone from men to women. But that's not who defines him whatsoever. He has such a great backstory that the fact that he is pansexual means nothing to the character whatsoever. So nice. he embraces that. And honestly, I think that's what people want. Um, not to get too much into that, but I think that's what a lot of people in the LGBTQ community want is someone that's, that is, you know, uh, transgender, gay, lesbian, bi, or, um, you know, in this case, pansexual. But, like, that's not 
like an overly written thing. Like that's not them. That doesn't define them. It's it's just their character, uh, and they they just happen to be, you know, um, what, you know, whatever whatever they are, you know, as 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 it is in the case of real life. Right. You know. I'm gonna and have to I, check it out. I mean, I mean, it does play into some things as well too. But I think one of the biggest things I saw on this season um, was a character who is. Um, in her own rights, a female as well too, but identifies herself as a boy who goes through the whole trials and tribulations in high school of trying to um, see herself as a boy. And you get to see the trials of her going into a boy's locker room after she makes a basketball team and them making fun of her for changing. Or even the fact that Sabrina has a power at one point, it's not too much of a spoiler alert. You guys can see it and not be spoiled. Where Sabrina has power to say, hey, listen, I can make you into a man. And that point where this character basically says, no, I'm a man because I choose to be. I identify that. And because you could put a penis on me, it doesn't make me a man. I choose to be a man the way I want to be. I found that very powerful. That's legit. Right? So, yeah, I think everybody should get out there, watch The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina from season one to season two. Um, Great episodes. Fun. It gets a little kooky sometimes, but I think that's the charm of it. It and also too for people who wanna um, kind of put worlds together and kind of world build a little bit. It is a soft, soft, very, very soft. Um, I want to say world building. Uh, it's in the same universe that is in, in uh, Riverdale as well too. The CW show. Oh. So Riverdale is supposed to be a couple of towns away, and they mention it a lot. Um, there hasn't been that much crossover because it's probably because of uh, the network issue as well, too. But I heard that this was supposed to be on CW, but because of the crazy nature of the show, I could definitely see why they didn't put it on. But um, yeah, there is um, a connection there. So before we get out of this segment, what do you rate Chernobyl so far? Um, your ratings or yeah, so we're gonna go eighty six it. We're gonna go mid card or we're gonna big top it. Uh, I'm gonna go ahead and eighty six it. I'm gonna give it the Alexander seal of approval. Um, on wow. this, that's that's usually how I rate things. Is I give it the Alexander seal of approval. Um, because again, like I I, I thoroughly enjoy the acting in it. Um you know, from the very, very different characters that you meet, even those that don't really have a big role, just the way that, you know, people portray the character that they're given. Um, and I also do like the detail um, because when I like to think about historical things and things that have happened, I love as much detail as you can provide me as possible. And so like the way that they set up, like uh, from the first episode, you know, the entire, um, you know, main room uh, in, in, in the, uh, in the factory, you know, you got all the buttons, you got all the lights, even like the way that they fucking dress. Like apparently um, I was reading into it and that was like all down to the T. So it's just shit like that. Just those little minute details that just kind of make it, um, you know, worth every every second. Uh, okay. So, well, yeah. I just want to make sure I understood correctly because 86 would be uh, dumping it like a dumpster fire. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> well, oh, uh, uh, yeah, you're right. You did say 86. Um, <laughs> Big Top uh, would be loving it, and Mid Card would be kind of liking it. Yeah, uh, the whatever the highest one. Is. <laughs> All right. So it I'm gets just, the Alexander Seal of approval. 
the Alexander Seal approval right there. So Jay gives it a nice big top right there for people to watch it. Same thing for Sabrina from both season one and season two. I give it a big top for those who may be offended by some of the religious behavior that's going on. You'll probably not want to watch it. They could fuck off. Seriously. They can. <laughs> but uh, for someone who's very open-minded and enjoys a good ride, I think you'll love both shows right there. Um, Definitely. So as we get out of there, let's get into a segment I like to call At The Movies, a segment where we talk about things that are on the silver screen right now. So I know there's a movie that we both went to see this oh, past weekend. It was something that we were both very excited for. So let's start off with that motherfucking Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Bro, how was your anticipation level when going into this movie? Um, very. I mean, I, I I was hiding it very well. Um, but I also I was also trying not to overhype myself. But I mean, I was excited as fuck. Um, you know, because like the the trailers don't necessarily give it justice because they're they're uh what what I love is while the trailers did show you a lot, they didn't show you everything, which is what I was excited for because I wanted to be surprised. I wanted. Like I was just, I, I had a lot. I just was not trying to overhype myself in the in the event that I would walk out disappointed. But again, yeah, I was I was hyped as fuck. Yeah, same here. I mean, anybody who knows me, I've been the Godzilla fan since I was about three years old. So there's not really that much expectation when it comes to me with Godzilla films because I know what I love. I get to see a giant monster fuck up another monster or fuck up a city. Either way, I'm happy with that. Now, whether it's human interaction or the storytelling inside this film or any other Godzilla film, I kind of give it a pass because at the end of the day, the only reason why we go see Godzilla movies is for ultimate destruction. And you know what? I think even with the trailers, you got a sense of that. You got a sense of horror. You got a sense of, of all these monsters kind of getting together a one big motherfucking salsa bowl and having a good time. And I know when I first saw this trailer, I'll be honest with you, I almost cried just to see how how great the renditions of these characters were. When I first saw yes. Mothra, it just took my breath away. When I saw Guillermo yes. for the first time, it, it blew me away. And then my favorite out of everybody was Rodan. And it's just, um, I don't know, it just it made me give me chills. Honestly, I was more hyped about this than I was Endgame. I'll say that. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, honestly, uh, uh, I, I would, I would stand by that statement too, um, because it's, it's like, um, now I, I didn't stick with Godzilla, you know, as as much as I would have wanted to, but I mean, I did watch all the originals, um, everything, you know, even everything in black and white. Um, vaguely remember it, but I mean, I remember it enough. And you know, me and my friends would always go outside, like after watching it, and like one of us would be Rodan, one of us would be Ghidorah, and one of us would be Godzilla. You know, we would just all just start fucking around, you know, um, like that's how much fun and that's how much we enjoyed um, those fucking movies. So. Um, yeah, and I mean, you know, it, and, and after watching so many fucking Marvel movies, you know what I mean? Like, there was only like one other in the series, you know what I mean? And so, uh, well, I guess you could say two with Kong, but I mean, this was something different, you know what I mean? And, and, and uh, the moment that you saw the monsters that you were gonna, you know, be introduced to in this, like, it was, it was on a whole other level, whole yeah. other level. 
Definitely, definitely. Let's get into the thick of things right here. It released on May 30th, 2019 in the United States with a runtime of 132 minutes. Uh, distributed by Warner Bros. Pictures. Legendary Pictures with the help of Toho Entertainment. Uh, this movie has a star-studded cast with uh, Kyle Chandler, uh, Vera Faga, Miley Bobby Brown, as you know, Eleven from uh, Stranger Things. Ken Watanabe. Uh, Yes, Kevin Watanabe, who is the best character in my opinion in this whole I love him. movie. Uh, Sally Hawkins, uh, Charles Dance, so many different characters on this. Of course, O'Shea Jackson Jr. as well as he was in this movie. <laughs> highly, highly has been um, touting this movie everywhere you go, whether it's on social media, whether it's in commercials. You have to see him talking about how proud he is to be in this movie. I think he's an actual fan. Even though I have a lot of criticism for him in this movie, you could tell how much of a fan he is of this movie. So, let's get into the thick of things. This movie is a second part to the original Godzilla movie that came out in 2014. Um... Basically, we get a little bit more world building when it comes to Godzilla now, especially from Kong uh, Skull Island. We get the, the the standing of Monarch, this um, this I guess this agency that tracks um, kaiju monsters and paranormal things as well. Too, um, we get to see that there's a whole bunch of outposts um, around the world, especially after the incidents of 2014 with Godzilla to get on the Mutos, something happened where all these monsters are kind of emerging out of nowhere. And of course, Monarch has these different little, I guess, hideouts tracking these monsters. So right off the back, how do you feel about the world building after Kong Skull Island going into this movie? Um, I think, I think it was great. Um, and, and I loved how they pretty much kept the mystery is because, you know, while they introduced you to some, it was a lot that they didn't introduce you, you know what I mean? So, you know, that there's a lot more to tell and it, it, and, um, what I think is that it went into like, especially when it came to like Monarch, um, they weren't like a huge, um, it wasn't like a main main character in the movie it didn't steal the show like they were there they were a part of it and it's building that world so you see what they are what they're capable of but they're not necessarily the good guy or the bad guy in this you know so that's kind of like what i loved about um their the the world building in this and so again you know having only been introduced to just like a sliver of it hey what's going on everybody it's your boy val Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? When I was trying to get this podcast off the ground, I had so many questions. How do I record an episode? Where do I find background music? How do I get my show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all the other places people like to listen? Where do I find advertisers? The answer to every one of these questions is really simple. Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, distributing, and monetizing your podcast. And best of all, it's 100% free and 100% ridiculously easy to use. I know about you guys, I love podcasting. And for those who have been following me, I've been doing this for about a good couple of years. When I switched over to Anchor, it was easy to use, fun to use, and I gotta say it's been the best experience for me podcasting. So if you always wanted to start your own podcast, go to anchor.fm slash start to join me and a diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor.
That's anchor.fm slash start. I can't wait to hear your podcast, and I can't wait for you guys to join the community known as Anchor. Thanks for tuning in. Ciao. So, biggest things that I saw in this movie right here, things that I liked. I love the world building between uh, Monarch and the Outpost and the different monsters that are tracking with the main character, Emmy Russell, who's a cryptozoologist of Monarch studying what she calls Titans. Um, they're named after the Greek mythology Titans as well, too. So Godzilla re- resembling a Kraken and, of course, Monster Zero uh, resembling the Hydra. Did you like that resemblance at one point in this movie? Did you like the fact that they're being compared to as Titans of the old age rather than Kaiju? Yes, yes, um, because it kind of um, it, it 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 portrays a bigger sense of 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 what they are and and their position in the world. So I really, really did fast uh, was very fascinated with that because you know it kind of um, you know relates or you know very similar to how uh, the Greeks had their gods, you know, um, and. In, in this case, you know, you have some people that pretty much, in a sense, worship these titans because they know that their place in the world. Um, so I, I, I did enjoy that. We get a scene in this movie where um, Dr. Russell is using a device called Orca to communicate with these uh, titans in order to semi-control them in a way. Not necessarily control them, but more so just keep them non-lethal. We see that. Uh, that first scene with the Mothra larvae, um, just or larva, however you want to pronounce it, um, and that first interaction with her, um, of course, the daughter as well, too, played by Bobby as well. Um, their interaction with Mothra, did you like that interaction? Did you think that was a, a powerful scene, too? Oh, yeah, um, because like we all know where Mothra stands in this. And so um, that was one thing that I was concerned about. I was really not sure how they were going to go in the direction of Mothra um, because, you know, this is a different universe. So, you know, they could have definitely went in so many different ways, but um, showing that connection between Mothra and the humans um, with just like that, it was uh, very powerful. And it shows you that, you know, they're keeping Mothra true to what Mothra is and has been in the series before. Well, let's talk about the villain. Um, the name of his name, uh, Alan Jonah, um, Tyrion Lannister, if you will, barging Tywin. in Tywin. Excuse me, Tywin Lannister over here, barging in, blowing shit up, stealing the Orca device in order to uh, have control of these monsters and in a way to establish dominance all over the world for these monsters to take back the world to have humanity grow back again from trauma and turmoil. Did you like that? I guess explanation of why he wants to go ahead and steal this machine. Um, I mean, it makes sense. Um, I, I think it's a little too big of 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 somebody's ideology, to be honest. Um, uh, especially because they introduced him as an eco terrorist, and so I'm just like, uh, I don't know. That one threw me off a little bit, but I mean, he plays the role very well. Um. And, and I mean, if it's anyone that's going to be like the bad guy, I mean, they picked the perfect guy to do it, oh, you yeah. know. Um, but I mean, uh, they made it work in the sense of the plot um, to like keep the plot fresh and to keep it going throughout the whole movie. Um, because, yeah, it, it, it kind of keeps it solid throughout the rest while, you know, everything just kind of falls apart in its own right. Of course, I think that um, this movie 
does suffer a little bit from too much world building as far as the the human characters are concerned. I think yeah. um, they, they there's just a lot of people involved. A lot, especially with Ken Watanabe's character, Dr. Sirozawa, who is a main character in a lot of Godzilla movies, especially the original one. Um, you know, I just felt like it was a little bit of a hodgepodge of way too many characters conveniently ending up in different locations together. Um, how so quickly. The, how did you feel about the twist, though, with Dr. Russell siding with Jonah um, on being an eco-terrorist, trying to release these animals, or these animals, these titans upon the world to destroy it? Um, so, I wasn't prepared for that. Um, but but I mean I mean it's it's a very um, anti-hero kind of perspective. I mean you know it's for the right reasons, but it is very 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 extreme. Uh, I I guess I didn't like her. I, I guess I just didn't like her as a, as an actress right um, so much. I mean though it, it, I mean if I think they had a better person for that role, I would have enjoyed it more. But I guess it's just because, like, I, I couldn't place that kind of ideology with that person who portrayed it. So, like, uh, that was one thing that I wasn't really. I mean, I do. I, I see what you're saying. I mean, I can see that from, from uh, Vera, Vera Famiglia. She's a very different kind of actress. She plays always an anti-hero or a gray character in her movies as well, too. So you never know where her allegiance is. I think that kind of fit perfectly into this movie. I just felt like the mother-daughter aspect didn't make sense with all these intentions on um, grandiose world domination with these titans, and you're still trying to be a good mom as well, too. It's like, fuck you. You know, like, I would say fuck you to mom all day if that was the case. So Yeah, yeah and then her obsession, you know, like, and, and I don't understand why, I mean, I, I understand they lost their son, but I think... Uh, the father, um, the guy who played him, I think, you know, it, his was more of like a believable kind of thing where he just kind of just disappeared because goes off does his own shit and just drowns in his own sorrow when her, she like almost seems like she's like um, obsessing over it, you know, while at the same time trying to be a good mom, while at the same time being a crazy um, scientist, like it was just too much for that one character. I think so as well too. And the father, as you mentioned, Kyle Chandler, um, he's a, you know what, uh, even though I feel like he got a lot in this movie, um, small little tidbit to King Kong, Kyle Chandler was actually in the Peter Jackson King Kong movie as well, too. Yes, he was. So it was nice to see kind of those worlds kind of come together in a way. But him, um, of course, you're talking about getting the scene where they lose their son and they get a divorce out of this um, aspect. He's now a tracker or a photographer or a hunter. I'm not too sure what the fuck he is. They really, really didn't get that. into it that much. <laughs> He's just there. He, he just was. there. Like, I just felt Sticks like, around. He didn't move the plot whatsoever. He was just yelling at scientists all day. He's like, you're wrong. <laughs> you know what he did? No, honestly, you know what he did throughout that entire movie? Like, he just stared. <laughs> That's something like I wanted to point that out to you when we were watching it, but like literally, like when it was Mothra and Godzilla, like there's just like moments where it's just like he's just staring yes. and his eyes are getting bigger and like it moves away and then it goes back and he's staring. Yes. I'm just like, Dude. I mean, I think we could both agree that the human interactions in this movie weren't the best things in the world, uh, especially for Millie Bobby Brown. I felt like 
not that she was a pointless character. I just felt like the trailers made her more important to the plot. Yes! Very much so. Because, like, she, I mean, she had a row. I think, like, the biggest thing, and, like, if anything, the only build-up for her was to steal the Orca and then, like, bring everyone to Boston. Yeah. Like, that was really, like, the whole point of her, honestly. Yeah. That was really about it. Like, she had some kind of scientific knowledge about the kaiju and... And maybe she has some kind of connection with Mothra, but I doubt that either. Um, I was kind of disappointed in her character. But at the end of the day, this is a fucking Godzilla movie. I think we all forgive, like I said in the beginning of this, we all forgive the human interaction and the dialogue because the greater purpose in this movie is to see motherfucking monsters destroy the world. Let's talk about them. And each other. Yes, let's talk about the design now of Godzilla, the big bad. Well, not even the big bad, the big good of this movie. Godzilla has a fairly different design than he had in the last movie. Um, the last movie, he seemed just, it was a good design, don't get me wrong. But there was a lot of criticism on just how he looked like his own thing rather than the classic Godzilla. This time around, they keep that 2014 design a tad bit, but they add more of the classic feel to it. The... The plates on his back look a little bit traditional now. He has a shorter snout. He has longer claws. He actually looks more like Godzilla. Added, he's a little fatter. That's about it. How did you feel about the design of Godzilla? Um, you know, that's that's it's funny you say that because like I wasn't really bothered by it at all. Um, if anything, I was captivated by the more realism um, of 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 Godzilla. Like it's just it's just you know, kind of like how you feel that gives you that chills because it's so amazing to see, you know, what they were able to do with Godzilla, you know, in this day and age um, and to see that, you know, in, in the kind of clarity that we do, it's just, it's it's phenomenal. Um, so, like, I wasn't, like, deterred by it at all. Like, now I, now that you mention it, like, now I have to go back and watch the uh, first one, the 2014 version to see the differences between, you know, that Godzilla and, 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 this you know rendition here well not rendition but you know i'm pretty sure you know the tweaks oh yeah for it i uh i want to see the differences um because honestly I, I wasn't bothered by it at all i was like i mean they could have went with uh godzilla 2000 version which i think you mean 1998 that's the iguana motherfucker 2000 is not that bad but the iguana motherfucker needs to go out there we all call that zilla now that's not even godzilla but um, I know this because, you know, I'm a fanboy when it comes to Godzilla. And even though I kind of like the 2014 version, I did see some departures from it. You know, it did seem very Americanized in a way. Not in a bad way whatsoever. I just saw that um, just I wanted a couple of more things added. And I think this movie kind of gave me that. Like I said, the different plates in the background. Uh-huh. The, the face... The face, it's a little different, but it's also because you can see the facial features now and how he moves and how he reacts to certain things. It's very much, I'm not sure if it's even mo at certain times because you can get a lot of his feeling without even talking or saying anything whatsoever. His face shows a lot more emotion than their first one as well, too. So I appreciated that. Um, but I was fairly happy with Godzilla. Looks a little fat. That's about it. Looks a little prego sometimes. But they gave him like pretty stubby legs too, which is very, <laughs> very true to the original because they did have some pretty stubby legs. But it makes sense if you're like uh, 
you know, a million gajillion pounds, you know, you need something <laughs> to carry that weight on or else you're going to crumble. So, yeah, I'm not mad at his, his thunder thighs. His thunder thighs are, you know, I like it. He kicked ass with them thunder thighs. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about um, the other monsters and how their designs are. Um, let's talk about Mothra. I know you were very big going into this about Mothra. Um, you were talking to me beforehand about the traditional Mothra design and how this is a little bit different. How did you feel about seeing... I know we talked about Mothra the larva, but let's talk about Mothra Prime, though, like, out of the cocoon. How did you feel about that? Oh, design? my God. Like, I love the kind of, like, angelic um, 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 uh, feel that they gave, the aesthetic, kind of aesthetic that they gave to Mothra. Um, it, was, it was beautiful. I really, really, really loved um, because, like, um, you, you, because you don't even really see Mothra until like the fight, mm-hmm. but like just you know the the blinding light, you know the the wings, and just you know um, you see Mothra's beauty without even seeing Mothra, you know, in a way, but it's still like, oh man, like it's it's very emotional, you know, in in a way. Um, I, I I absolutely love what they did with Mothra. And they gave Mothra all the justice with that. I think you're right about that. For and we'll talk about the, the critics' review and the fan reception as well too. But I think there was a great personal connection, and director really found something with the audience with Mothra. I think that if you ever want to spin around a Mothra movie, you could definitely do it now because of the connection you had with the audience. I think that first initial scene of her breaking out the cocoon was very powerful underneath the waterfall. Um, the time where Godzilla is messed up underneath the water and she's just hovering around him, trying to gain, give him strength. And then that, that initial scene where Godzilla's fighting Ghidorah and out of fucking nowhere, she just comes out of the fucking cloud. Like, I'm going to fuck you up, motherfucker. Like, ah, I like that right there was just great, too. Yeah, and, and I was, like, the whole time I kept I kept looking at you, I was like, they're going to kill Mothra. Because I was just, like, so, like, I enjoyed what they did with Mothra so much. I was, like, I, I really couldn't, like, I would not have been able to handle a Mothra death. Did you, um, did you like the the powers that they give her, you know, most of the time in different renditions, Mothra really doesn't have the best power base. It's more like pollen-based, a fucking Butterfree from Pokemon, or from, like, Fast Wings. But yes, this- in this movie, you know, she got, you know, the webbing still, so she kept the webbing in her moth form, and then uh, a nice little add to it, which is a little different. I'd never seen this in a Mothra movie before. Maybe somebody could correct me, but she had a stinger in this one, which she definitely utilized. How did you feel about that? Oh, I thought it was great. I mean, I, and it's, um, I, I would have loved to see more of her webbing mm. um, because that's what I've really known Mothra to do, uh, especially in the older movies. It's like she like literally wrap shit, yeah, like almost cocoon shit, like a spider. And this one was more like, 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 kind of like a more of like a Spider-Man kind of thing. It was, you know, <laughs> it was very much Spider-Man like. So I was a little concerned about that, especially when she gets uh, uh, Ghidorah's head stuck to like the building. It was like, psh, psh, psh. it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I loved, I loved, um, uh, I, I won. I, I would have loved to see more of a Mothra fight. Uh, or like maybe extended uh, her Rodan fight, you know, a little more. Mm-hmm. Uh, to 
see what else they could have done with her other than just the stinger. Because I know, like, she had her little um, little leg things. <laughs> um, yeah, her little fucking praying mantis arms, man. I was waiting for yeah. her to kill somebody with those. Yeah, um, but but I guess, you know, they utilized the time that they had and the resources that they had. But would have been nice to see a longer or more of a Mothra fight. Did she live up to expectations, though? Oh, yes. Hell yes. Hell yes. Let's talk about um, one that lived up to my expectations, my favorite kaiju um, of all time. You know, as much as I love Godzilla, I am a huge fan of Rodan since his first movie and his interactions in the Toho universe. I've always loved Rodan. This is a weird side character. And me personally, I felt, although he's a little OP, I felt he was very, very... um, extraordinary in this movie from his that first initial blow up the volcano and he comes out of the lava looking menacing looking terrifying about to destroy motherfucking mexico we'll talk about that as well too um (laughs) just him looking at as like a demon coming out of hell i thought that was just amazing how did you feel about your first interaction with rodan oh yeah hell yeah they they built that up very nicely they really did and I love him because he's very simple. They didn't really give him a power set that much. He's like a fucking giant pterodactyl with like flame wings, essentially like a giant phoenix. Um, his power yeah. kind of stood the same from the movies. He gets he's very fast, so as fast as he goes, he destroys and wipes out a city like a fucking tornado. So I like to see that, and I think that was very big in that Mexico scene, how he just destroys the city just by flying over it. I thought that was very important. yeah, without even flapping too. Exactly. It was just like. The gliding, it was just like whew. exactly. I think his um his first interaction with Ghidorah was a great fight as well too. Um, one thing about Rodan though, I will say, this guy's motherfucking immortal though. So like he's like died like five times in this movie. He came back like, what's up, guys? I'm still here. The only thing that I really didn't like is like at the very end, they kind of like turned him into a little bitch. Yeah. Um, or he just kind of like bows away. Like, I was like, oh, like, that doesn't seem like a very good, you know, Rodan kind of, like, thing. I will I, say I this. Dude has, like, a fucking, like, hole in his fucking chest because of Mothra and her stinger. <laughs> so I wouldn't want to fight either after that. True. It's like, all True. my nine lives are gone now after Ghidorah. But literally, he did just come out of nowhere, like, at the end. Because, like, you honestly thought that, like, Mother took him out. And then at the end, here he goes, like, just flying around. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> I thought he was done. And I was kind of sad, too. I was happy that Mother got a win in a way. So I was like, that's cute. You know, they killed my man, but they give Mother some significance. But no, my man just comes out of nowhere flapping. What's up, guys? Sorry, I'm late to the party. Oh, yeah, you? Okay, sure, I'll bow. So, it was interesting, but for the most part, I love Rodan. I thought he he played a good, I wouldn't even say anti-hero in this movie or Shade of Grey, because he was definitely evil, and he definitely did side. He sides with the Alpha, as most of these um, Kaijus did, but it was a good um, opponent for Mothra. I would have loved to see him tangle with Godzilla at least one time, but you know he didn't. I just realized that he didn't. That could that could um set up another movie possibly later on, so I'm not that mad about that. But let's talk about the giant big bad, the Hydra of the fucking movie, the demon known as Monster Zero, aka King Ghidorah. 
Um, I will say this. I thought it was interesting that they made him come out in the first 10 minutes of the movie. I was like, huh, you're giving this this early. I would have built this up for maybe like the last half an hour until he finally breaks out. But um, it was interesting. How did you feel about like that first reveal of Ghidorah? Um, I was a bit confused because I really wanted to see where they were going to go with it um, because I just was really unsure. But how they, I mean, how things turned out, um, you know, kind of like a domino effect. Um, I, I, I was pleased. I was very pleased with it. Hmm. I was interested as well, too, as Ghidorah, Ghidorah is the main big bad of the Godzilla universe. There's other big bads, but he's the most consistent. Um, I love the design. I love the, the feel of that that um, Chinese dragon, the three-headed dragon as well, too. Um, I love the electricity um, gravity beams that were coming out as well, too. I didn't like too much of the sound. I felt like Mothra and Godzilla had their own distinct sound or call or yell. But Ghidorah and Rodan had very basic fucking sounds. Um, I wish Ghidorah would have had that classic sound. I, I'm not going to say it right now because I'm going to sound like a fucking idiot. But if you look at past Ghidorah, it, it, it's very, very synonymous. So I was a little disappointed about that, but I did like the fact that he just seemed menacing and he seemed like fucking death incarnate, especially that scene where he flies over Mexico on top of the volcano, releases his wings, and you see the giant cross right next to him as well. Yes. The devil incarnate. I love that 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 shot. I think um, the creativity that they did, you know, uh, the writers and, and the art directors, you know, whatever, you know, whoever was involved in creating Ghidorah, um, you can tell that, you know, they really did put some work into it. Um, you know, um, like one of the little details that I loved is the lightning that he shot out uh, of his mouth. It, it even had like a kind of cheesy fake look to it. Um, which to me was kind of like a little nod to, um, you know, the original movies, um, but it, it, it fits so well, you know, as realistic and as like badass, you know, CGI as this movie was, you have that little, you know, cheap little lightning coming out of its mouth, but it was just like all for the best. Um, I, 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 I loved every little bit of Ghidorah. Okay. Okay. Um, we'll try to like wrap it up on Godzilla a little bit, but as far as like um, the fight sequences, how did you feel about the, the first fight sequence with Godzilla and, and uh, Ghidorah and then just the fight sequences all around? Did you enjoy them? Were they worth it or did they did they leave you hungry for more? Um, I mean, I'm going to be hungry for more just because, you know, just because it's, it's a Godzilla movie. And and I, it, to me, it's not complete. Like I want to see all the fighting. I want to see everybody fight each other. Right. You know. Um, but um, I think that they set it up very, very well. Um, kind of similar to how um, you know this is probably a bad reference, but you know how you know like wrestling, you know, will set up you know like you know these sort of fights up until you know the last major fight. I think that they did that very well. Um, you know, with, with, with the first um, meetup between uh, Godzilla and Ghidorah was like, okay, um, it, it, it was there, but like, it, it didn't need to be that long either. Right. It was just, you know, that introduction and, um, you know, how it just kind of like progresses from there. It's just like, yes, um, yeah. it, it was written very well. You make a great point, very much like the old, the original movies, 
from uh, the 50s going on to the 60s, 70s, 80s. Very much is like pro wrestling. Uh, they built up the first interaction sometimes, and usually Godzilla gets his ass whipped. It was kind of 50-50 on this one, but Godzilla did get his ass whipped, and Ghidorah did fly away. But it was good to get that build up to see where they where they lie as far as who is the alpha between both of them. And of course, the second fight as well, too, was very great, especially, spoiler alert right here, guys, for people who love the, the early 90s Godzilla movies, you get a reference of Burning Godzilla, where Godzilla is hit with nuclear, I guess, uh, atom bombs multiple times. And now he has the power to actually explode himself in a way, fucking final flashing Ghidorah half the time. So that was a nice little reference to the 90s as well, too. But I I fucking love the movie. I love the fight sequences. Um, it did it have me clamoring for more. The biggest thing that had me clamoring was the, the 17 other monsters that were also awakened and or awoken however you want to say it there and we never really got a payoff we only got a payoff with some monsters let me yeah i actually had the name of the mammoth too (laughs) so they released the name so there was one muto that was in the end of the uh of the scene which the mutos were the first monsters in the 2015 uh Uh, we have the the scala or skyla who resembles that giant motherfucking spider that was terrorizing france um (laughs) The fucking ape mammoth is called the behemoth. So that's interesting. And of course, <laughs> this is my favorite one right here. That motherfucking rock mountain shit that fucking blew up and just, we never saw it again. Oh. Um, that one's called Methuselah. <laughs> Methuselah. <laughs> All right. Ah, I need some more Methuselah in my life. <laughs> Give me a movie based on Methuselah, and I'm fucking happy. <laughs> um, but out of those monsters, that's all we saw out of the 17 that were supposedly awakened. So I'm kind of concerned about that just a tad bit. But um, I don't know. It leaves me um, hankering for more monster activity as well, too. Um, all in all, how did you feel about the movie? Oh. Yes, Alexander still approval, hands down. Like, I actually want to go see it again, and I want to go see it in Dolby. Like, I want to see, I want to feel the fight. I want to feel the yell. Like, um, if anybody uh, saw it with um, uh, Frank the, the first time, I mean, he practically had an orgasm at the very beginning of the movie yes. when you just hear Godzilla's yell. Like, oh, his, his calling. so damn good, that original scream. Literally, is the first thing you hear when this movie starts, and I can imagine how... We saw it in 3D, but I can imagine how crazy it would be a Dolby. But, yeah. Um, I, I don't know, man. I, I give it as much criticism as the critics are giving it. Right now, they're panning it on Rotten Tomatoes with a 50% rating, with the audience you know score 50% on Rotten Tomatoes. Ew. But that's the critics' score, while the audience score is at a 90% as well, too. So, very big... um very big um i guess backlash both ways on who loves it and who hates it um i've heard from fans as well too that it's not the greatest godzilla movie that i heard fans say this is the definitive godzilla movie of this generation so it's a very divisive film i think um i big top it all the way because at the end of the day um, when you get Godzilla and you get different monsters and you get different fight sequences, I kind of say F it to the human interaction. I know what I'm getting myself into. Now, it does sound a little um, contradictory because of the fact that I 
in in the Venom movie that came out last year. The uh, critic rating that happened, the critics kind of panned it, but the fans loved it. So I don't want to sound like I have egg, uh, egg on my face, but at the same token, I think those are two different animals right there. I think Venom itself is a movie where it deserves better storytelling. Uh, whereas this Godzilla, we're not looking for storytelling. We're looking for monsters being the shit out of each other. I think it was successful in that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, definitely sets up what is to be next year's uh, 2020 Kong versus Godzilla. Uh, Ad Bay does not give that much information about Skull Island or why he's going to fight Godzilla, but it does set up some interesting things, especially with that last post credit scene. I won't spoil it for people out there who are going to see this movie or want to see it again. Please watch that post credit scene because it's very interesting. It does give us... Um, so an idea but nothing like you can theorize about it but it, there's no definitive like this is what's gonna happen i think like, i know you know what i'm gonna spoil it right now fuck that i think i know what's gonna happen so, you think it's gonna be okay go ahead so we get um um alan jonah defeated i guess because he couldn't have his way with the world being alive annihilated so we see um the black market selling all these animal parts or kaiju parts if you will and we get a chance to see uh, one of Ghidorah's heads that's ripped off and of course jonah looks at it and smirks and says we'll take it so in my opinion this could go two different ways i think and it makes more sense if we're getting kong versus godzilla next year it only makes sense for them to fight for a little bit to actually gang up together and fight a, a bigger threat, which would be Mecha Ghidorah. In my opinion, that makes more sense than just what I also also heard was that um, because now they have kaiju alien skin that they can make their own monsters to take on the world. I don't like that. I don't like Legendary making their own monsters to kind of take on Kong and Godzilla. I like the the Mecha Godzilla or Mecha um, Ghidorah aspect, it makes sense to me as a giant threat, and both of them need to take him on. So I think that'd be cool. Yeah, I, and I hope that would be the direction to go. Um, you know, they they've been good so far uh, as far as writing goes. So you know, I would only hope that they would keep it. But yeah, that's Godzilla, everybody. I think we both enjoyed it. We both gave it a big top. So I hope you guys go watch this movie, Jake. Um, was there any other movies that you saw lately that you kind of want to talk about? Um, I did see Aladdin. I do have a lot to say about Aladdin. Go for it. Uh, I saw it as well, too. So, uh, I have a lot of good things to say. Like, I think people need to back off as far as, like, Will Smith goes. Um, overall, you know, the uh, character of Genie, um, that was never going to be uh, an easy role to play because, uh, with the majority of that role being, um, you know, Robin Williams just, um, you know, ad-libbing everything. Um, like, really, I mean, that's, that's, that wasn't a written role, um, you know, other than just, like, the main, you know, story uh, of, of his character. But, like, uh, again, that, that was never going to be an easy role to fill. But um, I think Will Smith did a fantastic job with the role that he was given. Um, he played very well. Um, and uh, I give him kudos. I, I really do. Um, I really loved his portrayal of that. Uh, so, yeah, people need to fuck off when it comes to that. I think people were just pissed off at his blue character. 
Like, get the, I, I always thought that was ridiculous. They were just like, I, I don't know. I'm going to move on from that because it's just going to piss me off. No, no, <laughs> but, no. Um, okay. um, visual, visually, I thought it was great. You know, with Disney, you're going to get that. You're going to get those resources. You're going to get the ability to, to, to make a non-cheap kind of set. Um, and visually, uh, I think it was very, very, very beautifully done. Um, some of the similar photography, some of the shots, the angles that they got in certain parts of the movie, just fantastic. Um, my favorite thing of the movie was um, the Prince Ali song. Um, I think they nailed that. They nailed the fuck out of that song. And um, uh, the guy that got, they got to play Aladdin, um, he was just hot as fuck. I will ride that carpet any day. Um, <laughs> gonna throw that out there. I'm sorry. Uh, yes. Um, but but there's a lot of things that were also wrong about that movie. Um, I think that Disney, you know, kind of easily forgotten that this was a live action, and I think that they tried to follow um, the flow of the animated movie too much. Um, especially compared to like Beauty and the Beast. Beauty and the Beast almost had its own flow. Like it was a live action and, and, and it had a lot of differences than the animated. Whereas this one, I saw too much of the animated film in this live action, which caused the plot to just kind of flop. And, um, and even in some situations, like the acting just did not work out. Um, there was a lot of scenes where the acting was just bad. And I, I don't necessarily want to blame it on the actors, but more so just like that was part of the script. That was what was written. And it just was not going to work out. Um, I love the twist on Jasmine. At the same time, there were some parts that I felt were unnecessary. As we were discussing the other day, her kind of Thanos walk where like everything's just like, you know, disintegrating and just like flowing away was like, what the fuck? Like, I have no idea where that came from, what the hell that was all about. Um, and uh, the other biggest flop, and I think, like, the main biggest flop of that movie was Jafar. Like, Jafar was not, he was not creepy. He wasn't scary. He didn't even really seem threatening. Um, you know, um, I thought the guy was hot as fuck, but that wasn't enough for me to be able, like, to make any kind of defense of him. And, like, honestly, like, I, it, there was not, like it was like Jafar's character was pretty uneventful. Um, and like the ending happened so quick and it was like over like so quick that like, it just, it just seemed so wrong. And uh, Iago, I see what they were trying to do with Iago with like, trying to like play that realism in there. But like, no, was I expecting, uh, was I expecting Gilbert Goffrey? No, absolutely not. Would have been great, but no, that was not going to happen. But like the way they played his character off, like the way he talked, it was just it was just awful. I didn't like it like at all. Same here. Uh, I'll go ahead and give a caveat to that right there. Um, starting off with the bad, um, just I felt like this movie, like we were talking before, that this movie was trying to have his cake and eat it. I think that it was trying to make new changes, but at the same time keep the old changes as well too. But they didn't mesh well. Like Agrabah, number one. Um, maybe this was in the play, but or maybe the original context. But from what I remember, if you're trying to go beat by beat from the original Disney movie or adaptation, Agrabah is a desert fucking city. It's not an oasis. And this right here made it seem like it was on the fucking edge of the East Coast River right now. So like, I, I kind of had a problem with that ethnic change. 
um, I had a problem with this, just with the the lack of emotion in the songs. I think the only one that really had a heartbeat was Prince Ali, um, which I'm disappointed because before the movie got its initial release, they released on YouTube and everywhere else on social media the Prince Ali song from start to finish, that whole sequence. Oh, I didn't know that. I felt like that was a way to get people to come in because they weren't that <laughs> confident of this movie. So that right there was a huge spoiler alert right there, like three days before the movie actually came out. Um, and it wasn't like it was leaked. It was actually promoted by Disney themselves. Um, I didn't like Jasmine's character. Not to say that I don't like her journey throughout this movie. I just think that it was more forced agenda rather than natural. Um, you know, and, and, and I, I get it. The original movie, Jasmine gets panned all the time for being a chick that just follows the grain and falls in love with Aladdin no matter what. Um, this movie right here, they give her like more of an edgy feel where she wants to be sultan instead of um, a princess and being content being a princess. She wants to be a ruler. So I, I, I get it. But at the end of the day, if you're trying to hit these notes that she's a strong, independent movie um, a woman, at the end of the movie, she does the fucking same shit anyway. She falls in love with Aladdin for lying to her no matter what and takes him no matter what. So you discredit everything you were building, uh, building right there. So I had a huge problem with that. Um, Jafar, I'm not mad at his character. I just felt like there was room to grow. You know, you got this great backstory that he was a thief like Aladdin and he had to steal and kill to get his way to where he is right now as a vizier. And you maybe get one glance of that character shift toward the end of the movie, but they never really come back to it. So that was kind of sad to see. Um, I'm not going to say anything bad about Will Smith. And, you know, I'm a huge Will Smith critic sometimes. I just feel like he, he pans it in sometimes in some of his movies. He didn't um, run. Oh, my God. He didn't run in this movie. He, he did, did not run in this no, movie. He did motherfucking run this movie. I saw it twice. He ran as a genie when when he grew some genie legs, and he ran as a human being as well too in the Prince Ali goddamn song. So no, my no, theory he is did correct. Not. Yes, he, he did. did. He, he ran, did not. He ran to one side of the room. Well, not room, but little fucking where they are, the little uh, market that they are. He ran from one part to another, just a little do a little dance. I was upset. I was like, you had to do this, this right here. I don't, I don't care. I'm not, I'm, I'm off my tangent right now. I'm and, conspiracy theory right now. Just to make everybody aware, um, for, uh, Fran- Francisco has this basically theory that Will Smith runs in every single movie that he's in. But he and does, even in After Earth. Like, I'm trying to prove that there's at least one movie where he's not running. There is, which is um, motherfucking... Um, but he's not, he's not a main star. He's, it's, it's a glorified cameo in fucking um, Jersey Girl. Where Ben Affleck is, is yelling about fucking the Fresh Prince, and he finally meets him for the first time, and Will Smith is there for about five seconds on screen. Doesn't count. No, it doesn't count. A no. Will Smith movie. It has to be a Will Smith movie where he's like the main character, or one. Even of- on After Earth, when the ship crashes, he fucking runs from one side of the ship to the other. It's like five seconds. Fuck you. No. Anyways, I will say that I like Will Smith's performance in this movie. I like the, the I like the blue genie part of, of this. I thought he he made an incredible genie. I thought that his 
his character development from start to finish was very strong. I like the fact that they gave him a love interest, which gives you more things to play with as far as the genie is concerned. You know, we always remember the genie as this guy who just wants to be freed, but this actually gives him more room to grow. He wants a family. He wants a future. He has a motive. Yes, he has motivation to get out the lamp rather than just to be free. So I like that aspect right there. I do like the the relationship he has with Aladdin. I think it seems genuine sometimes, but maybe just the actor doesn't seem that genuine sometimes. So it's it's hard to really tell. But I think Will Smith was probably the best part about this movie in all. And the carpet. The motherfucking carpet was great. Oh yeah, the carpet was fantastic. Other than that, though, I I don't 86 it. I, I, I give it a mid-card, a low mid-card. I give it a low mid-card. I think it was an attempt to do something kind of different, but still the same. It wasn't Pete Dragon bad, but it wasn't Beauty and the Beast great. I still haven't seen Pete's Dragon, but I refuse. <laughs> so, like... It's not, you know what? I won't even say that because Pete Dragon wasn't that terrible. It's not fucking Alice in Wonderland bad. And I will okay. trash it. Everybody's trash. Oh, no. Fuck y'all. Alice no. in Wonderland. No, I will tell you. It's a, better. Um, no, I, 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 will, I will refuse. No. It's a CGI mess, though. Everything is, there's no soul in that movie. Well, okay, yes, the first one, I can understand it. I can understand it, but the second one was beautiful. I like the second one. The second one's okay. Was it meant, did we need it? Like, we fucking need a Maleficent number two, motherfucker? No, we don't need that. But yes. no, no. But did I like it? Yes. I liked the second one a lot better. I thought the characters were more fleshed out. I thought that Alice had more of a purpose rather than this fucking last movie. But, um... The first Alice in Wonderland? No. With the Jabberwocky? Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> but it's part of the original story. Uh, we, won't get, we won't get into that. Aladdin, if, if, I mean, if you're a Disney fan, I mean, I'd say you'd have to watch it just because, you know. Um, but is it something that, like, must-see? No. I mean, if you have, you know, some cash to kill on a Tuesday. Was it, is it Tuesdays, I think, with AMC? If, if you're not an A-list member, which I recommend everybody be an A-list member because it's fantastic. It really is. Like, you think that, like, well, I'm not going to go to the movies that often. You will because you can't. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. Like, I have been to the movies more than I have ever have only because of the fucking A-list thing. Like, honestly, swear to God. Um. I will say this. I saw one more movie before we get out this uh, this little segment right here. I saw a little movie that came out this week, too, called Brightburn. Oh, um, I want to see it. So don't talk about it too much, because I want to see this fucking movie. I won't go into spoiler territory too much about it. I will just say this. Um, is it a big top? I wouldn't say it's a big top. I wouldn't say it's 86. I would say it's a, it's a high mid-card, I think, going into it. You know what you're gonna get. You know you're gonna get a a superhero horror movie, which is interesting. I think um, with all the guns, because it's not James Gunn just doing this; it's his brothers as well producing this movie as well too and directing this movie. Um, it's very interesting, especially a great interesting take on a superhero franchise that we all know already. Hint, hint, Kansas things crash parents pick them up but um 
for the most part, I think that the main actor who plays on um, the main character in Brightburn, it's he's very stoic, but it makes sense. I think he his energy throughout the film is very consistent, and he definitely feels like how that character is supposed to be portrayed. I think everybody around him, though, seems fucking... Uh, I, I just... I, I don't know their thought process throughout the whole damn movie. I think the side characters are not that great, but I do think that the main character, or maybe main two characters, are very, very, very great, fantastic, entertaining, and it makes you want to cry at some points if you have that bond as a parent. Um, Elizabeth Banks, she plays a great mother. So those are the that's that's the other character I'm talking about. Um, very oblivious mother, but very uh, very maternal kind of character. Um, the deaths, fantastic. The the use of practical effects are fantastic. There are some effects in here, Jake, that you're gonna love. You're gonna see like blood and jaws being broken that just look gruesome but it just makes sense and it looks glorious. And then there's some wonky storytelling. But at the end of the day, it's it's something I feel like you've seen already. It's something that when I came out of this movie, I was like, I enjoyed it, but I feel like I read this before. As a comic book fan, I felt like I read this before. And in some ways, maybe in a, in a DC universe kind of... Um, animation or cartoon that came out I feel like I've seen this story as well too not as brutal but I already know the outcome so I wasn't surprised um, I will say it does do some world building so for whoever wants to stick stick through not the end credits but the mid credits you'll enjoy it you just gotta pay attention is there an end credit not an end credit scene but there is a mid credit scene or maybe just like a um, after the movie's over, that little semi-post-credits um, credit scene, it's there. But um, we don't see throughout the whole end of the movie. But it's interesting. It's a very interesting movie, and I, uh, movie, and I hope... I'm, I'm interested to see exactly two years from now if we still remember Brightburn. Because it's a smart movie, but I'm not too sure it's the movie that everybody wants right now. I see. Um, did the trailer... Give the whole movie away. Um. Yes and no. Okay. I think once you see this trailer, all the trailers that came out, you kind of know what the gist of it is, and you're getting that. You know, um, uh, for people out there, I'm not gonna spoil too much about it, but if you see a kid crashing in Kansas, in a spaceship, and the parents pick him up. You automatically think of a a big blue boy scout kind of superhero automatically. It's a different <laughs> take on that, and that's all I'll say for that. So it's basically Superman. Yeah, yeah, but a different take on it. And this is the, some of the trailers that saw this as well too. You know, he crashes in Kansas. The parents pick him up. He has some kind of powers, but. They're not um, too sure if he's able to control them or if he's able to deep dive into understanding what he's what he is, if he's an alien or not. Um, kind of like Superman himself. So I like to say this: this is um, 
if you watch Superman or have ever read Superman, this is a Superman on a bad day. One bad day that could turn somebody around. And um, it's interesting how they take that dynamic. Um, like I said, it's a good movie. It's just not a movie that I was surprised with. So that's why I'm not going to give it a big top. Mm. Sure, he just worth... fucking rocking his shoe or something. <laughs> I think it's worth watching, though. <laughs> um, we'll get out of the um, after movie segment right here. Let's um, talk about some new stuff before we end um, this podcast over right here. So some new stuff happened. Um, let's talk about the whole debacle right now with Robert Pattinson uh, portraying Batman. <laughs> How do you feel about this? And the controversy that's all over the world. I mean, uh, I've learned my lesson. Um, you know, it's it's. Uh, I'm I'm willing to give it a shot. I mean, because I mean, I'm always going to refer back to um, what's his name for Joker in The Dark Knight. Yeah, he's Ledger. He's Ledger. I mean, because when every every time I would see he's Ledger, I would picture him with like a fucking um, a, a powdered wig or some kind of Victorian era, because that's, that's the only movie that I had ever really seen him in, you know, even, even, even in the Patriot, you know, he still kind of had that like aesthetic. So when he was a good movie, such a good movie. (laughs) It is. And it's totally inaccurate as fuck, but it's such a good movie. (laughs) It really is. Uh, Fucking uh, Mel Gibson. Um, Was that a Mel Gibson movie? Yes, it is a Mel. It's one of his best movies. That scene when he's chopping the fucking British up with the hatchet and the knife, and the blood spatters on him, and the sons are witnessing what he's doing. That's like one of the best scenes in cinema. For real. And oh my god, uh, I saw it on uh, TNT one one time uh, years ago, and like they had turned it into mud. I was so disappointed. Oh, they did. As like oh. muddied up, and I was like, "This is not this like killed the whole scene." <laughs> it was like he was tagging the mud. <laughs> what, a, what a good movie, man, The Patriot. But I will say this: um, I'm not, I'm not going to critically pan Robert Pattinson whatsoever. I think that I've seen enough movies that I enjoy his portrayal. I think mm-hmm. he's getting a a lot of shit right now because he did the Twilight series. But that wasn't an actor. You're gonna take the gigs that you know, and, and I mean, he made a good choice. I mean, it was a, obviously a big series. Yeah, a lot of money from it, and you know, it honestly um, that you can credit that for um, igniting his career. Um, really. I um, mean- He's just typecasted right now as a pretty boy, but he's done enough movies lately where I mean, he can do a. He, I, I honestly can see him doing a very, very good um, Bruce Wayne because yeah. I think people are forgetting about that. Because when you when you, when you land the role as Batman, I mean, you got to remember you're playing two characters. You got to play Bruce Wayne and you got to play Batman. Um, you have to be able to do both. I mean, I, I will say this: I think that's the only reason why I didn't like Christian Bale so much as Batman. I think he played an okay Batman and Batman Begins, but I wanted more from a Bruce Wayne character. I thought he was great as Bruce Wayne in Batman Begins, but in A Dark Knight and, of course, in Dark Knight Rises, that Bruce Wayne character is almost non-existent. It's all about... <laughs> all day. 
<laughs> um, I liked his Bruce Wayne. Was it the best Bruce Wayne? No, but I I thought because he had that like I think that was the awful thing. And 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 I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think they gave him too much of like a Playboy status, um, which is okay. It's okay being a Playboy. Um, I just I was missing the sorrow, like the depressing, like the underlining feature of Bruce Wayne is that. Bruce Wayne is the mask. Batman is the man. And I felt like the facade of being a playboy was there. But the brooding nature of Bruce was not with Christian Bale. Where I saw that with Michael Keaton. And Michael Keaton, you know, being alone in a bat cave, pondering on what the fuck to do next makes sense. Because he looks like that type of person. Which (laughs) works in um, Batman 89 and, of course, Batman Returns. You know, I didn't see that with Val Kilmer, and I definitely didn't see that with fucking George Clooney in his back card. But <laughs> I think Robert Pattinson can give that brooding performance of someone who's lost something dearly and mm-hmm. needs it back, but can still play that playboy. Now, the biggest question is, can he fit the suit or make the suit look good um, as far as Batman? That's what we're going to have to see. But I think as Bruce Wayne, I think you nailed it. He... He can make a great Bruce Wayne, and um, and that's that's one thing I'm excited about. But you're right. Let's see, let's see if he can put on the suit and do the role. Because right now I'm trying to picture him in a suit, and I guess I'm just like used to like like really big buff guys. I mean, God, <laughs> well, you had Ben Affleck all roided up for those last two movies. So. It was like you got someone from Gears of War and threw a bat suit on him. Like, but even Ben Affleck too. Like as much as I liked his Batman portrayal in Batman vs Superman, it, it, it was horrible in Justice League. But Batman vs Superman, I felt the pain and the fury of Bruce Wayne, of a grizzled veteran of war, um, pissed off at this one entity, and he needs to take it out. So I like that. Uh, I did not like that last sequence of, why did you say your name? Why did you say your name? I was like, we're going back to this fucking screaming Batman shit. Like, stop it. (laughs) (laughs) I can play a good Batman if I can just do that shit all over. (laughs) Oh, man. But I think... um, I think it's interesting. I think he'll play an interesting Batman. It's supposed to be um, Matt Reeves' trilogy as well, too, as we found out. So oh. it's not going to be just one movie. It's going to be a trilogy of Ron Patterson. So I'm interested to see. I'm interested to see where they go, what villains they use, and um, what kind of direction they're going to do with this. So is it going to be like a more realistic version, like Christopher Nolan, or are they going to go very comic booky or? If, uh, fantastical like in the comics where we're gonna get weird villains like mr freeze or mad hatter or scarecrow um that actually i really want to see the riddler come back especially if they do take on like the more realistic um i want to see what a what a what a realistic um riddler would be like okay I, i i would love that you know what if i had to fan cast the riddler right now um um, as a, because I always see the Riddler as someone like skinny and conniving, and someone that just like wants to just, he thinks he's better than everyone else. Um, is there an actor right now that 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 fits that bill? You know what? Yes, 
Um, I'm going to get a lot of heat for this, but a guy who played Pennywise, Bill Skarsgård, has that slender look, and I think he could pull that off. I agree. I really agree with that. I, I could really see him doing a hell of a Riddler. Yep, yep. I think he'll nail it. I think if you want to get a different approach to the Riddler, maybe a younger version since you're doing a younger Batman, in a way, that can work. Good job. I try, I try, I try. Um, let's talk about another Batman-centric villain that we saw a certain trailer come out while we've seen Godzilla, the Joker trailer. How did you feel about Joaquin Phoenix's portrayal? Um, the, well, the first thing that came to my mind when I saw it was um, uh, uh, Norman Bates. And I don't know anything of the Joker's backstory as far as like comics go. I don't, I, I don't know what, what, what they have done with him, what different versions of him have been. But like when I saw this, the first thing I thought of was like, God damn, he's fucking Norman Bates with makeup. Like, <laughs> it's, that's, that's, that's just like how it is. But I mean, um, I feel like they didn't give a lot in the trailer, which I'm told, like, that's what I want. Like, I want to be left in mystery. Um, I, I don't really have an opinion because, like, it's, I, I, I'm just so lost in thought that I don't know what to think, honestly. I have to see this movie. I have to see the story that he's given. I have to see the character that was written out for him and how he takes it and makes it his own, or he sticks completely to a script and just tries to like play out what he thinks, you know, what, what, what the director wanted. You know what I mean? So I'll tell you how my feelings are about the trailer and about the betrayal. And then I'll tell you what could be something of a spoiler ish. Um, update on this movie. If you choose to hear it or not, let me know. But uh, my my initial thoughts. When I first heard that Joaquin Phoenix was going to play the Joker, I thought, why not? Because whatever Joaquin Phoenix does, no matter if it was um, his role in Gladiator or his role in Her, which if you have not seen Her, (laughs) it is one of my favorite fucking movies of all time. I love that movie. I want to finish it. I haven't finished it. It's on Netflix right now. I urge anybody whoever watching it. It's like a man falling in love with a Siri. It's, a, it's hilarious and depressing at the same time. But very depressing. His range is so phenomenal and he is very meticulous on what roles he picks. He's not someone who goes out there looking for the big budget performance. He's someone that chooses his roles wild, wisely from the indie role to the most professional role as possible. So Seeing that they're doing a different take on the Joker, and if I'm not mistaken, this is a story based on the 80s comic where it's one bad day, where the Joker is a basically a comedian trying to put money on the table for him and his girlfriend, I believe, or him by himself. You see that all the trials and tribulations of him breaking down little by little, not being good enough, and that comedian that's always depressed and always like angry that, that that urban legend that a comedian's only as happy as he's putting out when he's really depressed inside and one bad day can cause havoc is basically what this story is about. And I think Joaquin Phoenix can nail this road of just a, a man simply trying to cope with life and laugh. And maybe laughter is the only thing he has 
to cope. But when you take that laughter away, what does a man have left or what is a man? And I think he can nail this. There's different parts of this trailer where you see him down on his, on his last lugging, beat up by kids, getting shit on by like everybody in the world. You see that he even tries comedy at one point, and I'm not sure if it goes well or not. But when he puts the makeup on, you see the confidence in his, his portrayal. You see that he's ultimately a different person. And I don't know. I just, I think it does a lot of fan service. You see some stuff with Arkham. Um, there's a shot there where he's mm-hmm. up in an Arkham elevator and he's literally standing next to a patient who is fucking going nuts. And he's just there stoic, like, well, this shit happens all the time. Um, I think this is going to be a, an amazing portrayal of the Joker. I think people are just so, I guess. Picky. Enamored. Uh, picky, enamored. I think they are just, they have their expectations too high because of Heath Ledger's performance that they will never accept any other portrayal of the Joker. But the thing about the Joker is that there's no definitive version. The Joker has changed mm-hmm. multiple times since 1940 and still has changed. There's like at least about 10 different origins of the Joker and none of them are confirmed as the actual definitive origin. So you can do what you want with this character and have fun. Does this lead to another universe story? I doubt it. I wouldn't want that to happen. But here's the rumor spoiler. Do you want to hear it? Yes. So from a source based on a website that I was reading as well to on Newsarama, sources are saying from the studios that this is the illegitimate child of Bruce and Martha Wayne. Oh. And that possibly we're getting the hush story of Thomas Wayne, um, well, Thomas Wayne Jr., uh, in a way where we're going to get that or um, the Elliot story as well, too, where he's just someone who realizes that he could have had everything that Bruce had, but it went in a different direction. He was a bastard, and he had to live a bastard's life and the fact that he finds this out is why he really cracks. Mm. Well, not to say this is confirmed yet by the studio. I'm not too sure yet. I'm not too too excited about that, even though it sounds interesting. I'd rather have a Joker movie that's a one-off, like this sounds like. I'd rather it be just a man going insane on a murder spree and having a devil's rejects kind of ending. Interesting. But that's just my opinion on it, though. <laughs> huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just have to wait and see, honestly. Well, that's all the news I got for this week, man. I do thank you so much for jumping on this new format that I'm trying to do. Apologize for everybody. I'm a little rusty on certain things, but this is very fulfilling for me, and, and um, to have you be a part of it as well, too. It is an honor. It makes me confident each day that you, that you help me with this and support me with this. And anybody who listens to this, it makes me even more confident that um, I can do this on a professional level. So I thank you. I thank everybody for listening. For anybody who wants to find this podcast, it is on Apple Music or Apple Podcasts, excuse me, uh, Sideshow Conversations. It's always on Spotify. Um, SoundCloud and Podbean as well too. 
Um, if you want to follow the podcast on Facebook, it's on Sideshow Conversations, and as well as on the Instagram at Sideshow Conversations as well, too. Jake, plug your stuff as well. I will. Um, just to give everybody a heads up, so uh, with it being Pride uh, Month, um, you know, you uh, definitely uh, would love some support. I'm uh, going to be uh, doing a slew of uh, um, Pride-related podcasts, you know, trying to reach out to different people to get different people on my platform to tell all kinds of different stories. Um, you know, I want to hear from, um, you know, everybody. That uh, There's so many people that I've met you know, over the years, um, and, you know, different perspectives, and, you know, they even helped me continue to learn about my own community, uh, and then, uh, so, yeah, you'll just be seeing that come out, that's Anxiety Live, um, getting same Spotify, Apple uh, Music, uh, SoundCloud, um, I guess, uh, <laughs> um, and um, as well as uh, you can find it on Instagram, you can follow me on Instagram. I think that's where I usually post. Um, the name is too dark and too long for me to remember. All I know it involves three sixes, um, which scares people. Um, I literally, I, I, I don't think I've met one person that has not questioned my username on Instagram. I never question your name, sir. <laughs> Um, but yes, um, you'll see me post a lot pretty frequently with um, on Sideshow Conversations. So if you ever wanted to find me, you can always find me through there. Awesome, awesome, awesome. If you guys want to follow me, Val Cisco, on um, Instagram or um, Val underscore, oh, sorry, it's uh, Uncanny underscore V on, on um, Twitter. Um, and yeah, I thank you guys for listening as well, too. This is going to be a format that I'm going to be trying for the next couple of weeks as well, too. I'm going to be trying to do this at least consistently once a week. I think that'll be substantial for right now and um, different topics. You know, maybe some days we'll do on nothing to play where we're um, analyzing the games that we've been playing for last week as well, too, to get you guys interested, whether it be specific shows, whether it be even artists or music that we've been listening to as well, too. I know a, a big thing for next week, I'm going to be d- deep diving into some Manson and Rob Zombie and Slipknot's new album as well, too. So I think that would be a nice episode for people to tune into as well, too. So, Jake, it's always been a pleasure. And always. Until the next time, get your mind out of gutter, but keep your on the side.